thankful for that. With that, let me invite Tammy Hutchins to come forward. This is our good friend Tammy. Y'all give it for Tammy as she comes. Tammy, a.k.a. Tammy Ma. Good-looking guy, Greg Hasselhoff. to introduce him as following. What's up? It's good to see you, man. So she's going to introduce Greg, but I've known Greg for a long time. We both did. You can go ahead and come, come on up. College ministry. Uh, he was in Texas when I was in, um, and we were in Florida. And so she's going to introduce him. But man, it's good to see you. So I'm going to pray for you real quick. Is that okay? And uh, so Tammy is one of our, our closest friends. A lot of you know Tammy. She's been here. She's been serving in Southeast Asia for golly over 20 years, and has come home for some unfortunate reasons. Just um, getting kicked out of the country type stuff. Sorry. Uh, because, you know, it's just, you can't be a Christian there. Anyway, so let me pray blessing upon her and, and as she speaks this morning and as Greg comes and shares. Father, we're just thankful uh, for Tammy, thankful for who she is, and uh, we just pray this morning you would bless her as she speaks, and I pray you give us ears to hear. Uh, Lord, we love you. You are good. We love the way that you move, Father. We say come. Amen. Hey guys, this is Greg Hasselhoff, a good friend of mine, and of, and of Steve. <laughs> y'all finish y'all romance thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, Greg and I went to uh, Asbury Seminary together. He's here with his wife and their three kids. Uh, he is um, the um, university pastor um, on campus at Asbury University, and I was, he came. He's yeah, he's coming through. He was coming to spend the night with us. They're on the way back to Kentucky. And I said, bro, you got to speak for a couple minutes and just any insight you have from that. You know, we're all, we're all in tune with what's happening or what happened last, last month at Asbury, right? So I, I just thought it would be really cool if he would just share a couple minutes. Yeah. It's, this is a surprise that we're getting to visit Vintage Church and uh, having known Stephen Rail for 25 years and um, Tammy and I, if, if, if you knew how much fun we had in seminary, you would want to go to seminary. <laughs> it's true. It, it was such a good day and such a good time. And I just wanted to share for two or three minutes about uh, the goodness of God um, in, our, in friendships and relationship um, and in what he did uh, at Asbury this outpouring. We were in awe. We were humbled at how God showed up. And um, one of the things that we've said, too, is that we were surprised uh, and not surprised <laughs> because we live uh, in, a, in a day and a time of desperation. And, and we live uh, in a church where we know that unless Jesus comes, um, we're without hope. And so there were college students that were hungry and thirsty. This little town of Wilmore is saturated uh, with people that were interceding and asking God to bring a refreshing move of his spirit and to uh, bring renewal and to bring awakening in the church and in the midst of his people and college students that live in Generation Z and live in the midst of a world that says, wow, it looks like we have less hope. These students who are following Jesus said, we need you, God, to come in a mighty way and in a fresh way. And in the midst of this town where people have been praying for years and years and interceding and asking God to do something new. Uh, this year, as a campus pastor, Steve, it's like every year we kind of go with these fresh waves. In campus ministry, one of our friends used to say, it's like uh, you're planting a church every year. <laughs> and so there's every year something new is happening. And in Asbury, you go to chapel 80 times between August and April. Some of you would not choose to go to church 80 times in eight months. So this going to chapel every day is, or three days a week can be a very ordinary thing. Uh, and yet there are students 
that we're hungry and desperate that when we go into worship, that the presence of God would be so real that lost would come to know him and that broken would be healed. And so that was that was the desire and desperation that was stirring and present in students on February 8th when the Spirit of God was poured out in this very unique way. And I was telling Tammy last night, it took, uh, it has taken the last six or eight weeks for us to even just start to hear a surface of the stories in which uh, God was at work. And so one of the stories that I've listened to uh, from the hundreds of people that were doorkeepers, you know, just let me be a doorkeeper in the house of God. These were doorkeepers at the back of Hughes Auditorium as thousands came in. And I listened to this story that said people would, would get to the, to the line and, and have the opportunity to, to come in who had been waiting for hours and hours. And they said sometimes it was hard just to say, uh, we have a seat for you, and then start to walk to the seat because they were in such awe that they were just in this place of worship where God was present so uniquely. And they were, they were just like almost lost in this presence of God that they were there. And there were times when a family or a group of college students uh, sometimes it was a group from a, ch- a church that had come together, and they would say, uh, we, we have a seat for you. Um, and they would kind of make it through the foyer into coming into the sanctuary, and they said, can we just go straight to the altar? Can we just go to the altar? So in the midst of God pouring himself out, uh, there is a drawing <laughs> Uh, to be in that kind of friendship with Jesus, to just go to that place that everything is melted, uh, that barriers are gone between us and God in heaven, that barriers of brokenness between us and people next to us are gone as we go to the altar and forgiveness becomes so tangible. That's the kind of desire and the kind of desperation that we saw present that brought people to respond in such incredible faith uh, to the presence of God. And um, we're, we're in awe and we're grateful to tell that story. And we know that in this unique way that God uh, moved in our midst is what he desires for every church. This is what he desires for his people, uh, to live in that kind of communion with him. So thanks for the chance to get to share that with you this morning. Thank you, you, Craig. Um, Good stuff, right? Yeah, my heart's getting fired up, right? Just, Just hearing, you know. Just, yeah. Um, I'm going to read from Hebrews 12.1. And when I got here this morning, they asked me if I had any, you know, um, scripture to put on the um, on the screen. And I was like, I'm not a professional. No, I forgot to do that. <laughs> they did tell me a few days in advance. I really don't have an excuse. <laughs> so <laughs> just, just follow along as I read it. Um, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And um, as, I'm, as I'm sharing this morning, you know, when I do share a lot of times in, in, in public, um, I love to tell the miracle stories because we have so many of them. I could literally get up here for a whole week of Sundays, and we would just get through the first couple years of India, you know, and so, and as, as I was preparing and praying and, you know, my heart always wants to kind of go there because I, I love, I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories. And, um, but I kind of sensed God was telling me to go in a different direction. So that's kind of what I'm sharing with you today, if that's okay. 
Yeah. So there may be a few stories in there. I can't I can't make any promises, but but uh, I'm just going to I'm just going to share from what what I think God is saying. It kind of tags on to what what Greg was saying, actually. We, we recognize that God is doing something new in the season, right? How, do you feel it? Do you know it? It's different, isn't it? And so I, I had told Greg or told Steve earlier, I said, you know, that I feel like God is just increasing the hunger of his people all over the globe. Even in well, my kids in Cambodia, my kids in India, my kids in Nepal, there's a, there's, a strong, there's a strong stirring happening in the body of Christ. It's not just happening in America. Um, and isn't that like the definition of revival in a way? Increase hunger, increase longing. And we want to be a part of it, right, as a church and as a people. I love that. And so I remember praying in, in 1998 before I ever left, foot, left for India. And I remember praying. I was scared to go. Y'all, I sold everything I had. I, I had a backpack and I had $80. And I felt like and I, I, used, I sold what I had and I, and I bought a ticket. And a one, it was a one-way ticket. <laughs> and I remember as I was getting ready to go, I suddenly had like a, you know, a moment of panic, obviously. Who wouldn't have that moment of panic? And there may have been tears. But I remember at one time I was praying. I was like, God... Please don't leave me out of what you're doing in the world. Please don't leave me out of what you're doing. And I prayed that prayer. And um, I don't want to miss anything you're doing. And it wasn't that I didn't think God could move in India. It was just a sense of like I was going to be alone. There, there, there wasn't really a body of Christ that I was joining in, in India. And I got, I'm afraid that if I go, you're going to leave me out of what you're doing. You know, and I ask you, God, please don't leave me out. And there's been moments in my life in India where God has reminded me of that prayer. And I think I told you guys a few weeks ago when we first got back from, uh, from, from Wilmore, you know, I was praying, God, I, I think you have the wrong person right now. I'm, I'm scared to speak. It was like day three of this outpouring, and I remember praying, and like, God, I think you have the wrong person, you know. And, um, and what if I speak and, like, everything just stops? <laughs> you know, day three, it just stopped around 11 a.m. Um, <laughs> And so I was, I was praying, and God spoke to me very clearly. He said, Tammy, and as long as I have existed, as long as I have been, he didn't say, and as long as I've existed or as long as I've been God, it was just, and as long as I have been, you know, kind of reminding me of I am. You know, I've never made a mistake. And, and so I was, you know, filled with courage at that time, and I and, 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 uh, was able to speak. But after I spoke, God reminded me of something else. He reminded me of that prayer. <laughs> Do you remember back in 1998 when you told me not to leave you out of what I'm doing? How's this? And I was like, that's good, God. That's good. And so um, I, I don't know about you, but I want to be on the front lines of what God is doing in the world. And I've, ever since I've become a Christian, that's been my I want to be on the front lines, God. And that's why I went to India. Like, I want to be on the front lines of whatever you're doing in the world. You know, I don't want to be a spectator. I don't want to read about it. I don't want to watch videos about it. I want to be in the thick of it. And isn't that your prayer too? You know, I hope it is. Anybody? Yep. Yeah. So I want vintage to be a people on the front lines. I want us to be a people who are not spectators but are active in what God's doing. And I want us to be a church that is ready, I believe, when a great harvest is coming. And we need to be ready for it. Right? And so that's kind of what I'm talking about today. Um, being ready for what I believe is going to be a great harvest. We as a church need to be ready for it. We as the people of God need to be ready for it. Um, so as I was praying, I felt like God was highlighting a couple areas, um, a couple of things that are encumbrances to us as we go after God. A couple of things that are kind of like obstacles, I guess, things that slow us down in going after God. I'm going to share about those things. Uh, it's not, you know, I don't usually teach about it. I teach about it to my kids, but I don't teach about it to, to, the, to the public that much. So this is my first time teaching about it to adults, but I'm just going to go for it going to pretend you're all my kids. So um, the first thing I felt like he was highlighting was, was this thing of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. And it's not a pleasant thing to talk about. I'd rather tell you all about the time that we prayed and, you know, money fell out of heaven and to our laps, you know. But, like, no, that didn't really happen. It kind of did. <laughs> but, but, but I feel like God is, is, is asking me to, to share about this, about this concept of unforgiveness Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Um, if you look in, in, in the Bible, 
some form of the word forgive or forgiveness is mentioned 109 times. I'd say it's pretty important, don't you? It's pretty important. Um, I believe unforgiveness is a huge obstacle for us experiencing the fullness of God in our lives. And so I'm just going to share some of that. I've seen it in my own life. I grew up in a broken home. Um, my parents had divorced. I saw my father maybe seven or eight times in my life that I can remember as a child and teen. My mother remarried and divorced often. And by the time I was 16, I was completely on my own. I was living on my own at 16 years old. I had a hard time even getting into college. Um, I took a gap year just to earn money and figure things out and try to get scholarships and, and ways to get to college. And, um, and so I came to college with brokenness, you know. And, and, and so um, as an atheist, I came to the University of Georgia. And in my, in my time there, around the end of my sophomore year, I came um, through friends, came to know about Jesus and gave my life to him, not knowing anything, completely clueless, but I knew Jesus was real. Um, I had, I was convinced he was real, and I was convinced that he loved me, and that was enough, and I just wanted to know him. And I gave my life to him in the end of my sophomore year at University of Georgia. I ended up getting, up, getting over to Asbury Seminary, and um, that was a couple years later. So I've been a Christian all of a year and a half, maybe, get to Asbury Seminary, and probably towards the end of my second year, um, I just realized that something was blocking me. I had seen a lot of things. I'd seen miracles. I'd seen God's provision. Um, I, I sensed his presence. I was walking with Jesus. I was the real deal. But something was just not right. And I didn't know what it was. And I was like, what's, what's blocking me? You know, I'm just going to pray harder. You know, so I would pray harder. And I would pray longer. You know, and I would, and I would, I would, I would see, worship harder, you know. <laughs> To get through this this thing, this, there's something blocking me, and I didn't know what it was, and I, I just assumed that the answer was to go deeper. And so, um, thankfully, in God's grace, He led me to one of my one of my spiritual mentors is is, is a, a professor at Asbury Seminary, and he helped kind of lead me into this, these levels of forgiveness um, towards my my family of origin, my parents. And I can remember thinking. Um, I don't feel anything. We went, I went through this you know, level of forgiveness, and I didn't really feel anything, but, I, but he kind of said to me, Tammy, you know, forgiveness isn't a feeling. It's a choice. And your emotions are going to line up. Don't worry about it. Choose to forgive. Your emotions will follow your choice. And I was thinking, that's kind of strange because I, I feel nothing right now. But I made a choice, a, a, a full-hearted and full-minded choice to forgive both my mother and my father and over a season of time, my emotions did follow. But what's more is I can say, looking back, that was a turning point for me because it was like the floodgates of heaven opened for me after that choice. And it wasn't immediate, you know, but, but pretty soon after that, I just started noticing I had more anointing in ministry. I could hear God's voice better. I, I, I knew him a little better, and I understood his heart a little better. And God began using me and ministry to others so much more effectively. And it was like open heavens, open heavens throughout the time at Asbury Seminary. And it, it was all coming from that point of forgiveness, making that choice to forgive. And so as I was praying about this morning, you know, I was praying about this morning. And I don't want to speak. I didn't actually want to speak on something like this unforgiveness because it's a little bit like, eh, you know, but the truth is like we need it, guys. We can't, unforgiveness produces a root of bitterness in us, and that can literally keep us um, from all that God wants to do in us. And it's not, it's nothing that he's punishing us. It's not like it's something harsh. It's just like, don't you want more? Don't you want more? I remember even at, As, at Asbury when I was there uh, at the college, you know, praying for young people who were seeking to forgive somebody, and that God was doing that there. They were forgiving people left and right. They were modeling the way, you know. And I, wanted, I, want, I believe it's an important part of us. Um, being the people that God wants us to be so that we can be ready for the next great harvest. Is that okay to say? Yeah. Um, I, I have a story about one of my, I told you I'm a storyteller, so I'll share you one story. Um, I have a, one of my boys, his name is Gopi, and uh, when he was seven years old, he came to us. And at seven years old, uh, he's one of the few children. I've taken three children myself kind of off the street and into our home, and he's one of them. And he came into our home. Um, he had his mother had um, committed suicide. His father had uh, was an alcoholic and an abusive alcoholic, and um, and so he was just roaming around the village, this little village slum area. And, the, and some people there who were friends of mine said, "Can you take this child? He's got nobody. 
He's just sleeping outside and nobody's taking care of him. And so I brought him, I brought him, took him and brought him home with me. And he said to me, um, uh, I don't know, I don't like this. No, no, no. And I said, you know, it'll be fun. I promise we're going to take care of you. And he said, I'll, I'll give you a week. <laughs> he said, if I don't like that after one week, you have to promise to take me back to where I was. And I said, it's a deal. And of course, I, I did whatever I could to make sure that he wanted to stay. Well, it was like day five and he was like, it's okay. You don't have to take me back. I'm good. But one of the cool things about him, I remember, he'd been in our home maybe a month, maybe two months, seven years old. And so uh, we had, we're sharing the gospel with him. We're telling him about Jesus. And he comes up to me and says, why, why, why in my whole life nobody ever told me about this man, Jesus? And I was thinking, your whole life, you're seven, buddy. You're seven. And he's like, in my whole life, I'm wasting all the time. I'm going to the temples and praying. It is absolute waste. And somebody should have told me, you know, <laughs> this truth about Jesus. And so he was like, he was all in at seven years old. And he's been all in ever since. But um, around nine or ten years old, he would say to me, I think I, I would talk about them. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I would, you know, talk to my kids. And he said to me, I want to be a helicopter pilot. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like in the military? He's like, yeah, maybe in the military. And I said, well, that's cool. That's really awesome. I'm proud of you. He goes, yeah, so I can drop bombs on my father. And I was like, oh, wait, wait, no. And he said, yeah, I, I'm going to find out which area he's in, and I'm going to go and drop some bombs right on him, and I'm going to kill him for what he did. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh. And, you know, and of course, I'm just like you know, broken, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm um, guiding him over that next season. You know, and guiding all of our kids in, in daily life towards forgiveness. And uh, it was a couple years later, it was his birthday, and he asked for a cake that year. He said, I want you to get me a helicopter cake. And so in India, they do make these elaborate cakes, that are, and it was, like a, it was like a helicopter cake. And, um, and so he, uh, I said, well, that's awesome. And I was kind of thinking, I hope, like, where is this going? You know, he wants a helicopter cake. And he said, um, I'm going to take, when I grow up, I'm going to fly a helicopter. And you know what I'm going to do? And I'm like, oh, gosh, I thought we had covered this. And he goes, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop those things, those, what do you call those things, like papers about Jesus. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out wherever he is, and I'm just going to go drop them. So somehow he'll be able to see about Jesus wherever he is. Like, that's the definition of forgiveness, isn't it? From bombs to tracks. <laughs> you know? And, um, and I think about him and his life, and, um, you know, just, just a young boy uh, at the time, and, and God was doing an amazing work in his life. And now, you know, now he's 30 years old, 31 years old. He's been um, serving for 10 years in Cambodia and India and Nepal in missions. And he's married, has two kids, just finished his MDiv. And he has anointing wherever he goes. He has anointing in ministry. And I can't help but think it's linked you know, I, I, I can tell you right now, if he had had an unforgiving spirit or an unforgiving heart or he allowed bitterness, which he has every right to do. I mean, I, he can make a case for himself. If he allowed those things to rule him, I don't think he would be where he is today. I, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't. He would lack anointing. There would, be, there would be something, you know. I know unforgiveness blocks a move of God in our lives, be it small or be it big. Be it something that happened this morning on the way to church or something that happened 20 years ago when you were a child. Unforgiveness is a sure way to block the move of God in your life. And he loves us. He wants us to be free. Um, I've had other young people I've mentored who are 25 years old or 30 years old, and they still can't quite figure out why they're not able to break through with God. You know, and, and, and I know their stories. And some of them just don't want to forgive people who've hurt them. It's hard. The people that hurt them don't, don't deserve their forgiveness. It's painful to go through that stuff. And so they haven't. And I've watched them still, 25 years old, struggling to find their place in the world, struggling to find their place with God, struggling to see where they fit in, and, and struggling to feel his presence. You know, unfor- unforgiveness does that to, to, to us. I think of um, some friends of mine um, in Nepal I have a really sweet Nepali couple I'm, I'm close with. Their names are Gautam and Reka, and they're in um, Kathmandu. They're about my age. And I've known them for years, more than, more than 20 years, and they're a very sweet family. 
And over the years, they started taking, they came to our home and visited, went back to Nepal and started taking in children. And so he has three biological children. He's taken in 12 more. And he just it calls it a family. He's modeling it kind of like what he saw in our, in our home. And he's amazing, and they're doing it. They're, they're, they're an amazing family. And he was telling me a story recently where his, basically his, he got a phone call that his sister had died. And she was in a, in a village. And they said, come, come over. And he came over. He found out the full story. Uh, the, her, her husband, who was an alcoholic and abusive, had, had killed her. And so he said he was filled with rage. He wanted to beat the guy to a pulp. The police had already taken him. And he, it's all he could do to just not want to, like, strangle this man who had done this to his only sister. And she had three little kids. He and his wife took the three kids and, and, and brought them into their big family. of Already they had 15. Now they have three more. You know, and they brought them in. And, and he said that he felt like God was telling him, Gotham, I've forgiven you of so much. I need you to forgive your brother-in-law. And so he was like, oh, gosh, how can I do that, God? He literally killed my sister. He left these, in front of these three children. Like, I can't. And God said, I need you to do it. And so Gotham, out of obedience, he did. He forgave his, he forgave his brother-in-law. And then God, God said, now, now do what you would do if you truly forgave him. And he's like, what is that? He's like, go visit him in jail. And so he started visiting him in jail. Every month he would go. It was a far away. It was several hours away. He and his wife would go every month, and they would bring him gifts, and they would pray for him, and they would love him, and they forgave him 100%. He, he got out of jail, and he wasn't allowed back in the village. They, they, they were stoning him and throwing him out and ostracizing him because of his crime, and he was growing blind at the time. And uh, he looked at his, Gotham looked at his wife and said, you know, we forgave him, and so what would we do if we really forgave him? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. And they both agreed. They went over, picked him up, brought him home. And moved them into their house with everybody else. And helped, and helped him reconcile with his three children. Helped him to reconcile with other relatives that they had that had lost, that were related to his wife. And, and I think about Gotham. And this man started out as a, uh, and we have these things in Nepal called uh, momos. They're like, um, I forgot the word, dim sum or something like that. Like little, little chicken wrap stuff. And he used to be a, a, a momo seller on the side of the road. And here he is. God's given him so much authority. He's seen as a man of God in that community. When the earthquake happened five or six years ago, his house was one of the only ones standing in their neighborhood. And it ended up being the central point for, for, for healing and for food and for distribution and for, and for aid. You know, and now it's become a church. And so he just started a church about a year ago with about 12 or 15 people. And then now it's exploded to be 120 people in a few short months. And they had to, like, bust out a wall to fit everybody in to their little house, you know, to, to fit people in. And God's just giving him anointing, and he's giving him authority, and he's giving him just such an unusual amount of uh, anointing. And I can't help but think, and it's, it's linked, isn't it, to, to, to forgiving, to forgiveness. And so there's power in forgiveness. Um, I have so many other examples that, you know, I can talk about. I don't know if you've heard of Graham and Gladys Staines. They were missionaries in India in, 19, in the 1990s. In 1999, uh, Hindu activists tied up, had the little, the two, she had, it was a husband and wife and their three kids. They had an older daughter who was probably around 10 or 11 years old, two little boys, maybe ages seven and eight. And the father and the two boys had gone to this village to do outreach and in their Jeep. And Hindu activists found out about it and locked up the Jeep with the boys inside and the father inside, locked it up, you know, did something so they couldn't ha- open the doors and set it on fire. And, and killed, I mean, the, the two little boys and, and, and the father were, were, were dead within minutes. And uh, they were unable to escape and they, were, they literally were burned, you know, alive. And, and you read about that and it was, it was just horrible. It was on the news and everybody had heard about it. And this woman lost her husband and her two little boys. And then some Indian channel asked for an interview. About a week later, she had just buried her husband and her two sons. And she looked at the camera and said, and, and she shared the gospel. And she said, I forgive them in the name of Jesus. I forgive them wholeheartedly. Um, and she looked at them in the camera and said, you're forgiven in the name of Jesus. And she shared the gospel. And, and the gospel had never been preached on in, in, in Indian TV. 
And it went out to the whole entire country of one billion people, right? The power of forgiveness. The power of forgiveness. It literally, people were talking about it for days and weeks. How does she forgive them? Because in, in the Hindu mindset, it's not really, that's not really there, this, uh, this understanding of forgiveness. Retribution is there, but not forgiveness. And so they were just astounded. Like, what is this? What is this that this woman could go through such terrible things and literally forgive the men that did it? It's the power of forgiveness. So I just want to say that forgiveness is a choice of our will. Our emotions will follow. If there's something blocking you, between, you're not sure what it is right now. If you have a block, if there's something like, you know what, I, I know God is up to something. I want to be a part of it, but there's just something. I just can't sense his presence. I, I can't quite get there. Ask God, is there something inside of me? Am I holding on to anything? It could be something so small. It could be something from last night. It could be something from last month or five years ago. It could be something gigantic, something from your way, way in your past. But I promise you, if you will make the choice to forgive today, you will see, you will see and sense and know the goodness and presence of God in a way you have never known before. I know this because God has done it in me. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter the trauma. I mean, it, it does matter, but I mean, like, God's not too small for all that stuff, right? It doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. God is ready and willing to meet you in that place of forgiveness. It's just a matter of saying, God, I choose to forgive. And then just blessing the person or the instance or whatever it might be that, that kind of that comes to your mind. It's a gift that God's given us. The ability to lay down our rights and choose forgiveness is a means of grace to God connecting with us. I don't want to, I don't want to hold back any means of grace that God gives me because I need all the grace I can get. And this is a means of grace for God to meet you is forgiveness. I believe that with all my heart. Even as I was preparing this message, I was like, I guess I should ask God, is there, any, is there anything, anybody I need to forgive? And God immediately brought something to mind and I started crying. And he's like, you haven't forgiven the people that kicked you out of India, the people that were instrumental, the people that threatened your daughter. They threatened her and said, we have the power to take her away from you. We'll put her where you'll never find her. And, they, and, they, and it was horrible. It was, it was traumatic, right? And I had never forgiven them. And, and I was like, wow. And, and the people that were instrumental in getting me kicked out, the, the officers, you know. And so I had to sit and remember all their names and their faces and walk through it. I choose to forgive them in the name of Jesus. I forgive her in the name of Jesus. God bless them wherever they are, God. Show your love to them. Pour out your mercy on them. Show them that you love them, that you care, that you're real, God. Would you do a work in their lives? And praying full-heartedly for them as if they were my best friends. It's not easy. (laughs) My emotions were not there. But even as I prayed that two days ago, my emotions are following. I don't have... I don't have uh, that, that feeling of, you know, when I think about them or that sick feeling that I have when I think about them. It's not there anymore. And that's the definition of forgiveness. It's like a scar. You can still see the mark, but it doesn't hurt anymore. And it's like that with forgiveness. When you forgive, you still can remember the, what happened, but you don't feel the pain anymore. The sting is gone. And that's what God did for me even while praying about these people that kicked me out of India. And so I'm telling you, Forgiveness is something we have to practice and we have to be willing to do. And I don't, I don't want anybody holding back, you know. The second thing I see kind of preventing us, or maybe it could be an obstacle or a hindrance or a, um, something, encumbrance, that might keep us from, from really experiencing the fullness of God and being ready for this next move of God, and it's offense. And so I'm talking about offense with God. I know there's so many of us that have offense with God hidden in our hearts. We're not even, sometimes you're not even aware of it. It can manifest in different ways. It looks like, I believe God for this, and it did not happen. You know, and that, just that, that's offense. You know, just, he, didn't, he just didn't come through for me, and I don't know if I'll ever get over it. I, I mean, painful things. All of us, we, we share that, the human experience, right? Pain, loss, maybe... Maybe you've been praying for a baby and you've had miscarriage. Or maybe you've, maybe you've been praying for healing for somebody and they, and they ended up passing away. Or maybe you were pass, praying for a spouse and it didn't happen. Or maybe you were asking God for reconciliation of your marriage and, and ended in a divorce. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen in the world that we can't quite get our heads around sometimes. When, un, unfortunately, what happens sometimes is it creates in us offense with God. 
And I have met many, many, many believers, many believers, more than I would care to admit, who are carrying offense with God. And they don't, some of them don't even know it. Sometimes it's just hidden in the back of your head. You're not even aware of it. But it's there, this disappointment, this unmet expectation, and you've never really made, come to terms with it. And I'm telling you, if you carry that offense with it, if you're noticing, like, I, I want to be a part of what God's doing at Vintage and in the world, but I'm just not feeling it. And I, when I pray, I don't feel like my prayers are going anywhere. I don't, I don't necessarily hear the Lord as, I, as how I want to. You know, some people get up on stage and talk about how God is real. Like, I wish I felt that too. I wish I felt the realness of God that way. I'm asking you, and I wonder, is it possible that you might have a fence with God about something? Is it possible? I can talk about, I can tell you right now, I know people. Nobody in this room would choose to be offended with God. It's not a conscious choice. It's something kind of just creeps into us, doesn't it? It just creeps into us. I've seen a ton of miracles in my life in uh, University of Georgia, at Asbury Seminary, and in India. I have seen so many miracles, I literally could fill up a giant book about them, if I could remember them all. There's been so many miracles, and I've seen God answer my prayers in miraculous ways, and it's amazing. But I've also prayed that same full faith, full of heart, full faith, full belief, and been utterly disappointed. You know, it's, it's part of the human experience. Things don't work out the way we want them to. And I think one thing that's helped me not to be offended is the secret place. Knowing Jesus, just spending time with him, getting to know him, his character, his heart, his personality. You know, a lot of times we put faith when we pray in the event. God, you know, uh, heal my father, you know. And we, pray, we place our faith in that event. And, then, and when it doesn't happen, what happens to our faith? If our faith is in that event, what happens? You can interact. If you have, if you have my friend John in, in Asbury Seminary, a friend of mine named John Cannon, I pray with all my heart, full of faith contending prayer you know pray without ceasing for him to be for him to be healed after a car accident i knew when i opened my eyes that he was going to be okay i actually was sitting with mark nice one time praying for him and, and i knew when i opened my eyes that he was going to be okay and you know a day later he passed away if my faith was in was in the healing what would happen to my faith when my friend john died yeah it would have died with it been wounded or died or been hurt in some way right so we don't we believe for the outcome, 100%. Believe, 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 y'all. Look, I've got a tattoo that says believe on it. It's in my lifeblood DNA. I will believe God for anything, anytime, anywhere. I believe God for miracles. Absolutely, don't hold back. But don't put your faith in the event or the outcome of what you're praying for. Instead, place your faith in this. God is good. He loves you. He's for you. Jesus is real. He's powerful. He cares. He's on your side. Put your faith in the man. And then when something doesn't happen the way that you want it to happen, you know, you can be disappointed and you can cry and you can, and and God is there for you. He's there to pick up the pieces. But at the end of the day, your faith's not destroyed because your faith was never in the outcome. It was in the man. I think this is something that God has taught me. I think about um, 2017. Does anybody remember praying for me in 2017 when I was blacklisted from India? Who was in that group? Yeah. There was a large group of people praying for me all over the world. Thousands praying for me all over the world to get back in. I was blacklisted. Every one of my friends has been kicked out of India at this point. My entire community, they didn't live with us, but they were part of our community. Some of them having the exact same visa that I had, uh, with the same two companies that I had, got the same day that I got mine, they were all kicked out. And then I got in word that I was next. And the way they kick you out is that they... They literally let you, you have to leave every six months, and then they don't let you back in. That's what happened to everybody else. And so it's my six-month mark, and i got to leave. And I'm just like, oh, no, you know. And I mean, I'm just like, no, no, no. This is my worst nightmare. God, anything, no, please do a miracle. And, and, and I felt God giving me the, the green light to rally people to pray, and people were praying all over the place. And I saw a miracle. I walked back in. I literally I went to Sri Lanka for three days. I'm blacklisted. I'm not coming back. It's been verified several times I'm blacklisted. And I know that not everybody's gotten kicked out. Like, they're going to block me just like they block everybody else. I get on the plane, and I'm just, like, worshiping the whole time. Oh, God, 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 please do a miracle. People are praying for me. And I get off the plane, and I kind of hear God say, walk fast. 
And so I was like, okay, so I'm just walking fast. And I'm, I'm like passing everybody in line and going as fast as I can. And then, and then I get to the line. There's just a few people in front of me. And I say, God, which, which, which person do I get? Which, which, which line do I get into? There's a really grumpy man with only one person in line. And there's a friendly, happy guy with like four. I'm going to go with friendly and happy. And God said, it doesn't matter. It's done. And I was like, okay, I'll go with Mr. Grumpy. And I went over to his line. And for the first time in my life in India, he didn't ask me any questions. He just went, Ugh, and stamped my passport and let me back in. Yeah. That happened in 2017. And that's amazing, isn't it? It was amazing. You guys have no idea. It, it's unheard of. That stuff does not happen to people. And so fast forward now, 2021, I'm getting interrogated again. Only this time they ramped it up. They're furious. How have you been in the country when we kicked you out? We kicked you out four years ago. And they were furious when they found out. And they were just interrogating me. They were threatening my child. They were threatening me, my friends. They were just, it was horrible. And, um, and again, I rallied everybody, y'all, please pray for me. Please pray for me. I need a miracle again. God, do it again. We're playing that song. Do it again, Lord, because that's, that's the song you want to play when, when something like that happens. <laughs> and, and sure enough, in 2021, I mean, this went on for several months. And finally, at the end of it, they were like, you have, a, you have one week to get out of India. You and your daughter can each take a suitcase and get out of and never come back. And so they literally escorted me to the airport. And I couldn't believe it. And so, obviously... Every emotion. You know, my kids are still there. Teenagers are still there in India right now. And, of course, I talk with them all the time, but, but my heart was broken. I was just devastated. I was a mess. You asked Steve who picked me up at the airport, you know. <laughs> How was I? <laughs> it was traumatic. It was traumatic for anybody who was around me. were probably traumatized by just looking at me. Um, and so it was horrible. And I came back, and um, it was... It was so devastating. It was so devastating. And it, yet something was inside of me that could not be offended. And so I don't know what it was. And I was so thankful because I had every right to be Let me build a case for myself and you all tell me if I have a right to be offended, okay? I, I sold everything I had, bought a one-way ticket to India, had $80 in my pocket, started a home for children, started all these ministries, took in 46 kids, gave my life away in India, and boom, and then God lets me get kicked out. Tell me if I have a right to be offended, like in the natural. Am I right? Yes. Yes. You're like, yeah. I mean, like, wait, you're, you, you gave away everything to Jesus. Like you, yeah, you shouldn't be, you know, you should be offended. This doesn't, but no, absolutely not. I was broken and I was, I was heartbroken and I was devastated and I was in tears and I was emotional and I couldn't hardly speak to anybody for several weeks, but I wasn't, I wasn't offended and I don't know why. I felt like I should have been. People were offended for me. But the reason I wasn't offended is because God had built this thing up inside of me in the secret place life. I, I know him. How can I be offended with him? He's so good. He's kind. He loves me. He knows me. He hears me. He sees me. How in the world can I be offended with this man, Jesus? I don't understand it. I'm heartbroken, but I am not offended. Not because I'm awesome. Not because I'm spiritually strong, but just because I know him. He's allowed me to know him. And so that's kind of what I want to that's what that's kind of what, that's kind of something I think that God wants to do inside of us. Um, I think about let's see the nameless faceless generation of people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. The world is not worthy of them. I'm going to read a tiny bit of it. Um, you guys are aware of Hebrews 11 is like a chapter on faith. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. And yet these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what they had, prom- had been promised. You know, I think about what about them? How are they not offended? They're commended. They're not offended. <laughs> they were commended for their faith, even though they didn't receive what they had promised. And I think that same thing holds true. Having, I think that they had unoffendable hearts, and I think God wants to give us unoffendable hearts as Christians. Hearts that cannot possibly be offended by anything, even the worst thing you can imagine. 
I choose. My heart will not be offended. I'm, I'm broken. I'm devastated, but my heart will not be offended by this. God wants to give that to us, I believe. Um, I think of one more story of a, a friend of mine, a, acquaintance of mine. I just I barely knew her. She came to India about 15 years ago, and or 14 years ago, and she came with her husband and her three children, three little kids. I don't even know how old they were. They were all below the age of 10. And they felt God was calling them to, to start a life in missions in India. They ended up in a place called Chennai, which is a, a few hours away from us. And they were staying at a guest house for the first for the first uh, uh, few weeks so they got settled. And in that first few weeks, maybe two, three, four weeks in, her husband gets a fever, and he can't shake it. He's taking medicine. He can't shake it. It's getting worse. So they go to the local doctor and local hospital, and they say, yeah, you know, we think he has a, some kind of viral fever. We're going to give him some medicine. Let's just keep him for observation tonight, and he'll be fine in the morning. You go home with your children. So she went back to the guest house in an auto rickshaw, a three-wheeler auto rickshaw. She went back home into, to this guest house with her kids, and they got up the next morning, and, they, and the phone rings. And it's a hospital. And they don't have the best bedside manner at this hospital, I guess. And they said, Madam, uh, um, your husband did not make it. You can come and collect the body. That's what they said. That's how she found out her husband died. And she got in the rickshaw and with her three kids. And she you know, told them what had happened. And some of them were very small to understand. And she held their hands. She said, children, we will not be offended by this. And I'm like, how could you not be offended? How? And when I heard that, I heard her tell the story. I even heard one of her old, uh, younger her children tell the story a few years later of how it impacted him. She, she literally held his hand and said, we choose, we're not going to be offended. We choose not to be offended by this. She left everything to go into missions in Chennai and lost her husband and had to go back, you know, with his body. And I think about that kind of, those kind of stories, and, and um, it's something beautiful about it, isn't it? There's something majestic about that. It doesn't make any sense. And it challenged me when I heard it, and it probably helped formate, uh, form this message inside of me all these years. I, I, was, I remember praying, God, I want that kind of heart. No matter what happens, I won't be offended. Now, I didn't know what was going to happen was going to happen. But I remember praying that prayer, God, I, 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 I want that kind of heart. Well, the first response I have when calamity comes is, I will not be offended by this. That's what God wants to do in us. And so this kind of thing happens in the secret places, forged in the secret. So that's something that God wants to do in us too. I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard that message uh, throughout this message. So my, my heart today as a church is if we would be willing to let go of offense that we have towards God and be willing to forgive others who've done something against us, even though we might have a right not to forgive or to still be offended. I wonder what would happen to this church if we collectively search our own hearts and, 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 and just, God, is there anything inside of me that's holding anything about, uh, towards anyone? Show me. And then come, and, and literally come to the altar and just be forgiven. And, just, and, and to forgive, to let go of it. Like God doesn't want us hanging on this stuff. It's not good for us. It's actually really bad for us. But if we could come to the altar and, and say, God, I choose to forgive this person. I choose to forgive that person. I choose to forgive him or her in the name of Jesus. Help my emotions to follow. And then I choose to let go of this offense. I've been carrying it in the back of my heart. You're God and you're good. And there's nothing, nothing about you that's wrong. And I choose, I choose to let go of this offense. I wonder what floodgates would open for us. I, I felt the floodgates open for me when I did this. I even felt it a few days ago when I forgave the people that kicked me out of India. I'm telling you right now, if you're, if you're hungry for floodgates to open, start with your own heart and see if there's anything hidden inside of it that needs to get out today. Um, and I have one more. So I guess I'm going to do an altar call or something like that in a few minutes. I guess. I don't know. I'm not a professional. Um, so, um, but I want you to come forward if you sense that God's asking you to forgive anyone. And I want you to let go of it 100% and forgive them today. If you feel like you're carrying offense with God because something un- un- happened in your own heart or life, I want you to let go of that today. And the third thing is this. And I... I know I'm speaking to people who come to church, but I'm just going to share it because I was impressed. I had the story come into my mind this morning, so I'm going to share it. If you've never come into a relationship with Jesus because you thought something was like you weren't quite ready or you weren't quite clean enough, I have a story for you. Um, back in 
1999, um, we got a little girl. Her name was Suda. She was probably two years old. And it's the cutest thing you've ever seen. But she had scabies on her fingers and her hands. And she was covered with, with dirt where she hadn't taken a bath. I hadn't been given a bath probably in months. Like just caked on layer after layer, days, days, days. Sores, uh, something called impetigo. It's a disease, an infection that, that comes on your skin from not taking a bath. So she had impetigo sores on her. She had scabies on her. And she was a mess. And my job, when someone comes in for the first time, these little ones, I'm like, I want to give them a bath. That's, you know, I want to do that. I want to be the first one to just, you know. And so I, I, we, have a, we had one bathtub in our house. Um, and so we kind of, we, we, I brought her in there and I was talking to her and, I was, and she's just kind of scared. And, and she's also sore. She's not, she's got lots of sores. And so I'm bathing her with this really gentle, you know, soap. And, and, and I'm just lovingly bathing her and, and, and talking to her. And all of a sudden, I just started, I was like, God, this is my joy to clean her up. This is my joy. I love this. I don't, uh, give me, I don't care if I get impetigo or scabies. Like I, want, I, I, I find such an intimacy with Jesus in that moment of cleaning her up. I felt that intimacy with him. He said, Tammy, that's how I feel about you. It's my joy to clean you up. It's my joy to clean you up. And it's not, it's not a, it's not a task. It's not, you know, one of our other staff was like, I don't want to do it. She's really dirty. I don't want to do it. And I was like, it's me. I'll do it. I, I want to, you know, and so I'm giving her a bath and, and I just sense I just sense such joy over her. And I'm just like, God, I just love her so much. It's my joy to clean her up. And then God's just like, Tammy, it's my joy to clean you up in case you didn't know. And I just wept. God met me in a moment of giving a bath to a little girl with scabies and, and, and a skin disease. And he met me in that moment and ministered to me. As I was trying to pray over her, he was ministering to me. And so if you're here right now, again, I don't know everybody's background, but if you're here right now, and if you've been holding back from giving everything to Jesus, because you thought, i got to get my life cleaned up first. Know this. It's his joy to clean you up. You don't have to clean up and then, Susie didn't have to clean herself up and then come to me for a hug. Right? I was all in the moment I laid eyes on her. And that's how it is with God. He's all in the moment. He's been all in from the beginning with you. And so it's his joy to clean you up. So don't hold back if you feel like, I, I don't want to give God, I don't know, I'm not 100% in. I feel like i got to get my life a little bit better first, then I'll do it. No way. Today's the day. It's his joy to clean you up. I don't care who you are or what you've done or where you've been. Trust me, irrelevant. It's his joy to clean you up. And so why don't we stand for a moment, and then I'm, and then I'm going to have Steve kind of lead in the ministry time. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Steve to lead. Um, I ask you right now to search your hearts. Just place your hand over your heart. Say, God, is there anything inside of me? Have I been unforgiving? Is, am, am I holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness towards anyone in my life? Would you show me today? I want to be free, God, so that I can... Be under that open heavens that Tammy's talking about. Ask God to show you, Lord, is there any offense I've carried towards you in any way? Would you show me, God, that I might be free? And then also pray, God, if I've been holding back, because I felt like I had to get my life in order first before coming toward to you and giving you everything. Today's the day for you. God, come and have your way right now. In Jesus' name, I pray you'd have your way in this place. Make us a people who are ready for this next big move of God for this next great harvest. We want to be ready. Let it start with us, God, so that we might be ready to bring many people into into your kingdom, God. Make us ready, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me go ahead and invite our ministry teams to come forward. It's 1125, so we're going to go ahead and just end service for the morning and then allow you to go grab your kids if you need to do that. If if you need to go, we want to bless you as you go. For those of you who are our guests this morning, thank you so much uh, for being here again. Uh, we are thankful for you. And as you walk out the door, there will be a table outside with some um, gifts, and you can just grab those on your way out and someone to say hello to you, introduce themselves to you. But in response today, again, I, I think this is, um, even as Tammy was talking, I, I do find this morning as it relates to 
maybe just a good sign of where you are. I was thinking about this idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness is something you may forgive someone today and it may pop up again tomorrow. And the idea sometimes is we're always continually forgive until that is released, right? There's, there's a broken, there's a breakthrough in that. And so today is that place, that beginning moment for you of forgiveness. But I always feel like the sign for me that I've gotten to a place where God's forgiveness, the grace has been poured out to, to give forgiveness, is that when I pray for that person, I actually feel God's heart for them as I pray. That was a description that Tammy gave in that as she was praying for those who had persecuted her in India that she felt God's heart for them. And this morning I do encourage you, it's just a practical piece that praying for that person and really gauging where your heart is and asking God for grace to do that because to, to give forgiveness sometimes in our own strength is impossible before asking for God's grace, his ability to do that. And so if that's you this morning, the things that she's named, whether it's just this forgiveness, whether it's offense or coming and asking Jesus to, to wash you today, to give your life to him for the very first time, all of our teams up here would love to pray for you. If you feel called just to come to the altar today, just to come to the altar and just release to the Lord. You're more than welcome to do that. This is the altar right here. You can come and stand. You can come and kneel. You're going to come today and take communion. Communion, Scripture talks about, says, don't come to take communion unless you've actually released forgiveness to those who were in need or gone and asked forgiveness for those you've sinned against, right? There's something powerful about this place of forgiveness, even in taking communion. So I encourage you, that's you today, again, to have an honest conversation with the Lord. The secret place, what she means by that is an intimate relationship with Jesus, where I know him and he knows me and I give him right to speak into every area of my life. And so, Jesus, we just say, come and have your way in us. You respond as the Lord leads. We don't have anyone singing this morning. We're just going to have music playing so that you can focus. You feel free. You are free to stay as long as you want, and you are free to go whenever you feel like it's time. I would say if you do have kids, you probably need to grab them fairly quickly just so our workers don't go crazy back there. But with that, we love you guys. Thank you for being here. I'm asking today you would respond as the Lord leads you.